in the high desert in the great American Southwest. I'm Art Bell. Slamming into your radio like a supercharged nanoparticle of unobtainium. My name is George Van. I'm Richard Serrett. This is Connie Willis. I'm George Norrie. Welcome to Coast to Coast Day. It's great to be here. Welcome to Coast to Coast PM, the number one unofficial Coast to Coast AM podcast. We are two brothers who listen to the world's largest overnight paranormal radio show known as Coast to Coast AM. My name is Paul. I'm the one that listens to this inexplicable radio show here with my brother. Hey, it's Chris. I'm the Liam Neeson to all the Eastern Europeans he killed and that we got a whole lot of people getting taken here, Paul. We have so many people getting taken, Chris. Today, we are going to be talking about the David Paulides interview on Midnight in the Desert from 2015 with Art Bell, all about the missing 411 theory where people are just getting taken in national parks, Chris. I can't believe it, dude. All over the place. Why would why would the national parks do this to us? Because, man, you can't trust the national park system. Yeah, dude. Good old Teddy Roosevelt. He, you thought he was doing a good thing, protecting all of the wildlife and protecting all the beautiful splendor of America. In fact, he was working for the reptilians to give them souls to harvest, Paul. You know, it's it's actually very possible, Chris, because we we're going to find out what could be causing this, um, but it's a little up in the air. We aren't certain. We do know, though, that the Park Service has gotten off scot-free for decades. The CIA... The FBI, the NSA, they take all of the heat and no one's looking at the park service. And that's what we're going to do today, Chris. We're pulling out our microscopes and we're putting it over your old park ranger and seeing what dirt they're up to. Somebody's got to do it, man. Hold their feet to the fire. CIA, NSA, park services. All in the same boat. I've been saying it for decades, Paul. This is actually a listener request from Carl. So shout out to Carl. Thank you for sending this in. Well, before we get to that, Chris, we do got to check in with our good friend Tim Pinal of the Coast to Coast AM blog. Tim time. Today's article from Tim. Ghost photographed at a 15th century castle in Ireland? Question mark. I, is this the same castle that Lizzo went to, Paul? I think this is a different one. But I, oh. I am going to be honest, I didn't cross-reference it against the Lizzo story. I probably should have. It really turns out that Lizzo should have been haunted. You know, it, it that would feel right. I also just want to get back to our roots. I feel like when we started the show, we covered a lot of someone took a picture of a ghost type stories. Right. And I missed them. Yeah. Well, you're the one who is completely in control of that, Paul. That is true. This would all be my fault. So let's get into it. From the article. Peculiar photo taken by a woman in Ireland shows what she believes to be the ghost of a little girl who looked at her from the window of a 15th century castle before vanishing from sight. And as we've established in previous episodes, ghost children are the scariest ghosts. I was just talking to my partner about this, and I realized that ghost children are the only thing that really scare me in horror movies. Nothing else scares me like a ghost child does. They're terrifying. Yeah, dude, they're clearly the most terrifying because, like I said before, a loving God would not allow <laughs> an orphan child ghost. 
these things have to be demons on our evp episode if you haven't listened to it we dug very much into the fact that all ghost children are demons yes so just keep that in the back of your mind the spooky incidents reportedly occurred earlier this month as gail newport and her partner were on vacation in the county of Kerry. as part of their excursion the pair made a stop at ross castle which was constructed over 500 years ago we really missed out in America by not having a lot of castles all over the place. Yeah, I mean, what, 500 years ago, we had a bunch of wood huts. I feel like none of that lasted. We still have the Indian burial grounds. I was thinking of the settlers, but yeah, the oh. uh, the Native Americans as well, I guess. Yeah, have dude, some and like the Aztecs and Incans and stuff. Yeah. So we got some we got some stuff from 500 years ago. I feel like but not much not of that's in America. Time. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, the problem is, is that you have such small settlements 500 years ago. I mean, yeah, it's Jamestown, it's St. Augustine, and then there's some folks out in, like, the Caribbean. Mm-hmm. But that's really about it in America. While strolling around the property, they suddenly were taken aback when they spotted what appeared to be a little girl in the uppermost window of the medieval building. Quote, I remember thinking, did I really just see that? Newport later recalled, marveling that in a blink of an eye, she was gone. What you doing up there, little girl? I would hate to look up and see a child. I really would. That would scare me. That castle closed, little girl. You weren't supposed to be up there. As luck would have it, she happened to be taking pictures of the castle when the strange sighting occurred. And so she checked her phone to see if she might have captured the curious observer that she thought she had noticed. That really is probably a question we need answered, Paul. Is this a castle you're allowed to visit? And so there would be tours in the castle, and maybe they just captured a little girl <laughs> looking out the window who's just on a tour. It's just probably like some fat American child. My my hope is that you would not be able to walk through it. Otherwise, this would be a much lamer story. I don't know. I don't have any idea. I don't know what they do in County <laughs> Kerry, Ireland, dude. I have no idea. I've been to zero castles in my time, so I don't know if you're allowed to just walk through them. I've been to a couple castles, but not Irish castles. Mm-hmm. To Newport's profound surprise, one of the pictures seen below actually features an eerie anomaly in that specific castle window. And it bears a striking resemblance to a small child. All right, Paul, we're going to have to see this picture. Oh, don't worry. We're, we'll get there. We're, we'll get okay. there. Okay. Uh, all right. Fine. <laughs> you always keep me in suspense, Paul. That's what it's all about. I, I can't show the picture until we get through the article. That is a rule I learned on, I think, episode two. <laughs> <laughs> I know. And you've gotten really good at, like, pushing back on me. Yeah. But I'm not telling you. I'm not telling you anything until we yeah. get through this. And then I'll tell you. Yeah. Strengthening her suspicions that she may have seen some kind of spirit, the vacationer noted that, quote, at the time, the tours weren't open. That's why we were hanging around outside. Someone said after they didn't even think the top floor of the building was open to tourists. There we go, dude. Tim, why would I not think that Tim would give us an answer to my question? You always got to give Tim a minute, man. Like me, he's building up to it. He's building up the suspense. He's letting you ask the question internally, and then he drops the answer. And that's why he's the pro. There was nobody (laughs) on tour. While it is up for debate as to whether or not Newport witnessed and subsequently photographed a ghost girl during his visit to Ross Castle, 
She expressed no doubt over the experience. Quote, we both saw it, which was literally a glimpse, she said. It looked like she had a little teddy bear tucked under her arm. She was glancing out the window. Oh, dude, the teddy bear under the arm is a great little tell that this is probably fake because the teddy bear isn't created into the early 1900s because of the president we've already mentioned, Teddy Roosevelt, who there's a famous story of there. They go out hunting out West and they have no luck killing a grizzly bear, which is why Teddy Roosevelt goes on this whole entire hunt. And so one of the men finds a cub, uh, a bear cub, a grizzly bear cub, ties it up and tells the president to shoot it. And the president said, that isn't sporting. I won't do it. Sensational story throughout all of the U.S. And the teddy bear is commemorated for the story of Teddy Roosevelt refusing to kill this cub. And so we can literally place the advent of the teddy bear and a child holding a teddy bear to the early 1900s. Yeah, I just fact-checked you on that, Chris. You're right. 1902. This is related to Teddy Roosevelt. Um, Boom, baby. Come on. Well, I think we officially destroyed this, this sighting. I mean, I guess it could be an early 1900s child, but my thinking is that there probably was nobody living in this castle in 1902 we would need a child i mean i don't know how rapidly teddy bears spread across the globe but the teddy bear would have had to spread all the way to europe and then a child has that teddy bear and then dies in the castle that's probably abandoned i don't know if i'm buying this i don't know if i'm buying it all right, well, the teddy bear was killer, dude. She should not have mentioned the teddy bear. You have to make sure to always make to you got to ensure that there's nothing anachronistic about your story. This is where this one arrived. Yep, yep. All right, that's a good call out, Chris. That's a good call out. We're debunkers on this show. People think we are it. I don't like to do it. I don't like <laughs> to do it. But when I see it, I'm gonna say something, Paul. The CIA did teach me that much, or was that the TSA? <laughs> Who remembers? Although some might ascribe an unsettling feeling to what had occurred that day, Newport had the opposite perspective, musing that, quote, we kind of felt a peacefulness from the fleeting possible connection between the world of the living and that of the other side. What do you think she photographed at the centuries-old castle? Weigh in at C2C's Facebook page. Yes, dude. I feel like we haven't seen the call to action a little bit, or you just haven't been reading it. No, we actually haven't seen them on quite a few of them. Uh, I think they do mainly appear on these types of ones where it's a photograph and it's like chip in, you know, your your two What do you think this is and stuff like that, right? The whole, is it a blue dress or a yellow dress debate? Yeah, which I, I have skipped a couple of those articles lately but i just i want to get back to our roots like i said i miss yeah. them i miss this them is good stuff dude okay now let me see the freaking picture all right here's the picture chris it is a photograph of what looks like the window of a castle and a blob in the window that I'd, i i mean it sort of looks like a head paul there does appear to be a clothed potato in the window <laughs> it does look like a potato actually maybe it's someone a- left a potato 
a clothed potato. So uh, I don't know what they're doing in Ireland, but that does sound quite on point for the Irish. It does indeed. Well, Chris, do you think that she saw a ghost? What, what are your thoughts here? I feel like I've debunked this story enough without really meaning to just like weird information about the advent of the teddy bear. Mm -hmm. And uh, I, I don't feel good about it, Paul. Yeah. Well, there you go. That's, that's our ghost sighting of the week. We're not sold, I guess is what we're saying. Sometimes ignorance is bliss, Paul. Yeah. Well, let's do some quick housekeeping, Chris. Uh, you can support the show at patreon.com slash coast to coast pm where you can keep us on the air for as little as two dollars a month and help pay our podcast bills we drop uh patreon exclusive episodes about two to three times a month we're starting to do some like coast to coast am type stuff that you can listen to so go ahead and check that out i think we have about nine episodes out so far uh, if you don't have a couple bucks to throw our way totally cool you can drop us five stars on apple or spotify uh, and also, quick, just another shout out for the Patreon. That's where we take a lot of uh, listener requests. And this episode was actually a listener request. So um, shout out to the Patreons. They get to hear what they want to hear. You know what I mean? All right, Chris, to the episode. This is a September 7th, 2015, Midnight in the Desert episode where Art Bell interviews David Paul Leeds about the missing 411. Missing 411? What does that mean? Well, this confused me for a little bit, Chris, because in my head, I thought it was the number 411, and I just decided that it was related to the number of people that were going missing in national parks, because that's the whole thrust of this conspiracy theory. It's actually just a fun twist on, like, 411, like, calling information. <laughs> okay. Yeah. All right. So that's that's directly what it's referring to as yeah. the information number. Yeah, it really confused me at first. I okay. thought I kept waiting for him to say the number 411. And yeah. then I finally realized after looking it up that it has nothing to do with anything except information. That's that's I like that, man. I like that, you know, kind of branding yeah. of your conspiracy theory, right? Like missing 411. <laughs> Well, and it's been a whole series of books and documentaries as well about this. So there's a very weird corner of the internet where you can find a lot of information about the missing 411. Okay. Uh, so this is a big, like, subculture. I would call it a subculture. I don't know how big it is, but it's okay. definitely a subculture. All right. They're yeah. posting. They be posting. There are major posters. There's a whole Reddit page you can find. There's a lot of stuff you can dig in on this. There have been debunks by skeptics. Like, it's it's a little corner for sure. Uh, but to start off, Chris, Art Bell asks David to basically just share, like, what is your stick? Like, what is this whole thing that we're here talking about today? If somebody was brand new, like me, um, how would you start with them? I would say that uh, I was in a national park doing research on a peripheral topic one time. I was getting followed around the park by a couple of park rangers. I was interviewing contractors at the park about something else. At the end of the day, I left the park. A couple hours later, I get a knock on my door. It's one of those park rangers in plain clothes, and he says, Dave, I know who you are. Uh, I know your background, and I have some information that somebody like you ought to get a hold of. So I invited him in. Spoke to him for several hours, and he stated that uh, during the last several rounds that he had been at different parks in his career, rangers had talked about disappearing people. 
And he said that at the front end, there's always seven to ten days where there's a lot of exposure, a lot of press, a lot of big search efforts. And at the end of that period of time, there's nothing. There's no follow-up. There's no other effort to find the person. And they themselves tried to find information about the people, and they were somehow restricted in getting much of the information they were looking for. So what does Mr. Leeds do as a living that he just is doing peripheral research in national parks? I'm not entirely convinced that it was peripheral, but one of the things that he has done as well is he wrote a book about Bigfoot. So it could have been Bigfoot research. That's what he was doing. He was doing Bigfoot research and got talk to a ranger that is into some weird stuff yeah and and i think that's what a lot of this is is that he's talking to some interesting people yeah especially if you are researching things like bigfoot you're probably finding some some pretty cool guys that's all i'll say paul i went to places and i talked to people and they told me things and i wrote those things down paul are you are you becoming john rhodes now you know (laughs) John Rhodes, who can't keep down a job, is just constantly on the move. Yeah. Well, Chris, I don't know if you have your conspiracy cap on today, but what he just described, it sounds like I never take it off, dude. I never take it off. (laughs) It sounds a little bit like a cover-up to me. I don't know about you. And he said that the other part of it was that some of the locations that the people disappeared didn't make a lot of sense to him. And he said sometimes they disappear right in the middle of humanity in a park and other times they disappear in the middle of nowhere but there was no consistency that he could tell from it Hmm. but the consistent part that he was concerned about and other rangers he stated were concerned about was the lack of follow-up the lack of effort after the people disappeared the lack of accountability after they disappeared etc paul do we have some real data about how many people are disappearing in our national and state parks yeah, we we will get to that. He does okay. provide it, and we will also get to case studies about some okay. of these parents. Cool, because I I'm sitting here thinking right now, not knowing a ton about this information, that hundreds of thousands, if not millions, of people visit our national parks every year. Yeah, if a percentage of those people go missing, that's not really surprising, right? Mm-hmm. Like you have dumb people who typically don't really know what they're doing. They won't pack for survival. They do dumb stuff, right? They get killed somehow, and nobody really knows they're out in the middle of nowhere, right? I mean, like, I just read a story the other week about a woman in Yellowstone going up to a bison and getting gored, right? And it's like, oh my God. me personally, I would never get close enough that I would even be able to smell that bison let alone close enough that it could gore me, right? And so I can just imagine that there are a ton of dumb people doing dumb stuff, getting into bad situations in these giant national parks that are hundreds, if not thousands of acres, and you can get pretty secluded and off the beaten path if you don't know what you're doing. Yeah, which is definitely fair. And if you haven't followed the National Park Service on Twitter, or I guess X now is what it's called, uh, they have a really funny Twitter account where they make jokes about how what, if you try to take a selfie with a bison, you'll die. I guess it actually ended up happening. Right. But yeah, that's a very fair point. There's a lot of people going into the parks. These are very remote places and you could disappear. That's yeah. just the risk of doing that. 
which we will we will also address, Chris. I mean, Yellowstone is in the middle of nowhere, Wyoming. Yeah. I mean, if you want to be a predator, that's a pretty good spot to be a predator. Not not a bad place, man. Not a bad place. But before we get to the data points, first we have to take down the park service, Chris. Because like I said, we're going for the throat of the park I, service today. <laughs> I, I forgot for a second that we're not just dealing with dumb people. We're dealing with a government cover-up. With the federal government. Because the park service is technically the federal government. You may forget. They're feds. I would never forget. And one thing we know about feds, Chris, they're pretty toxic. So let's listen to a little bit about David talking about that. But then after I started to look into it, it becomes pretty obvious the mentality and kind of the approach with the Park Service. If you just Google search uh, National Park employees complaints, let's say, mm-hmm. there's, there's, a, there's an aura inside that system that isn't healthy. And the way they treat their own employees is is pretty despicable. Um, just a quick story. There was a park ranger that disappeared in Arizona. He was never found. They refused to pay that, that ranger's wife his salary and his really? benefits, saying he just left the park. Well, he's really? never been found. And finally, she had to go to federal court to sue him for the benefits. I, I can see there being a lot of disgruntlement in our National Park Service. I imagine the job is pretty tough. You probably don't get paid a whole lot. It's pretty isolating. And you got to deal with the public, who we were just talking, do a lot of stupid stuff. Yeah, and I was just, I was actually listening to a podcast recently about uh, Yellowstone. And it is a really, really complicated and difficult thing to manage a national park. It's not just you let it go. There's a million moving pieces. There's hundreds of thousands of people who are employed by these parks. And like you said, none of them are getting paid very much. So it doesn't totally shock me. And I feel like some of the things that he's saying isn't outside of the norm for probably any government organization. And honestly, most big businesses where it's like, yeah, they don't care about me. I'm a number on a spreadsheet and they're not paying me enough. Yeah. Working a job period in late stage capitalism. Yeah, Yeah, we got it. And even the piece about the guy disappeared and then the woman wasn't getting benefits, that it doesn't totally shock me. Like, I don't think yeah. that's a good thing, right. but I think people run into similar issues with life insurance, for instance, or oh, any type yeah. of unemployment insurance. All the time. Yeah. Like, have you tried to get, you know, unemployment insurance before? Like, everyone I know that got laid off during COVID had such a hard time getting a check. Well, and if you don't have a body, yeah, that makes all of this Very, very difficult. So like Mm -hmm. you were saying, she probably did have like a very tough time receiving his benefits and stuff because they don't have a body. They don't have a they don't have a dead body to say this man is dead. Yeah. Which is a terrible thing that she had to go through that. But it's also not surprising. Yeah. Honestly, that's called bureaucracy. And again, we're going to deal that with that in every instance. Right. Yeah, the system sucks. Well, and they're also apparently not very transparent, Chris. They were not into giving David a lot of information. What makes these disappearances um, so bizarre? So when we started this, we were trying to understand where the majority of these disappearances were occurring so we could focus an effort. 
So we filed a series of Freedom of Information Act requests against the Park Service, asking them for their list of missing people inside their system. Mm -hmm. Seems like a natural, easy thing to go through. Well, several weeks later, I get a call from uh, an attorney inside the Park Service asking me why I wanted that information. Knowing a little bit about the law, that's an inappropriate question to ask anybody. And in fact, in the Freedom of Information Act, it says that they can't ask that question and use it as a determining factor if they give you the information. And I asked them, I said, well, why are you even asking me? It's a mundane request. I'm just interested. And he goes, I need to know. I said, well, we're just doing research. Right. And, And he says, well, we don't have any lists. And I said, well, what do you mean you don't have any lists? And he says, we don't keep track of missing people inside our parks. And I said, how can that be? And he says, no, nope, we don't have any less. That's kind of insane. And Chris, you you know, you know a little bit about FOIA. I mean, does I that know, sound weird to you? I actually know quite a bit about FOIA. I, I've had to do a lot of Freedom of, freedom of Information Act requests um, for previous jobs. And I've had attorneys uh, ask for clarification Mm-hmm. about questions but he he is kind of right no one's ever asked me why do i want this information i yeah. mean it could have been it could have been because of the the individuals that i was working for at the time were you know known quantities that they wouldn't want to butt up against and so maybe that had something to do with why i wasn't getting a lot of pushback when I was doing these FOIA requests, but at the same time, it is strange for them to say we don't do that. It's also strange for the attorney to openly admit that we don't even track that data. Which you would think it would be data that they do track. That feels important. Right. Yeah. But I can also see Paul when he was saying that that they don't track it is that I imagine that oftentimes when somebody goes missing in a national park that they get local law enforcement involved and that may be like county or or lo- local police um, or even state forces or something like that but I wonder if there's like some weird jurisdiction things going on and that the park service isn't the the subsequent holder of this information for whatever reason. Yeah, which is a good point. And I do know park services do have detectives, but they also do pull in local law enforcement. Sounds like I'm not an expert on this, but just from what David was saying, what I was trying to, uh, you know, divinate from this. So that, that could be part of it. Cause it's not the FBI don't come in for these types of cases, except in like a very rare circumstance, which he's going to bring up later where like a little kid goes missing. Right. If a really small child goes missing. The FBI will come in, but it could just be a, an aspect of the federal system where it's like how we don't keep track of police killings in our country. Right. right? The only reason why we have that data is because some dudes at Washpo pay attention to all the local newspapers and then add a tick whenever the cops kill someone, but it's not a federal database that we're actually keeping. That's also Um, a very fair point. I mean, there's just like things that we aren't tracking that Many people in society think are really important (laughs) things to be tracking. Yeah. But the government doesn't want to have a database of the hundreds of people that have gone missing over the decades in their national park services. 
Yeah, why would you want to track that? Yeah. <laughs> that looks so bad. When when he probably is right, you know, yeah. you get a a kind of a regional interest for two weeks, mm-hmm. but then if nobody is found, it kind of like dies off. Yeah. Yeah. Which does help out the park services power structure. And that's the thing too, is that it's it's one of those things where it's really easy to assume nefarious intent, but a lot of times it can just be incompetence. And often it can also just be a general covering your own ass, you know, where right. it's it, it's hard to make the change. It's hard to put the stuff together and who's going to do it because it's not going to help you. It's not going to help your career. It's not going to help your department. Yeah. I mean, like, unless the president comes in and says, we're going to start tracking missing people within the state or within federal parks like nothing's gonna happen nobody's going to willingly say let me put all this data together about how terrible of a job we're doing yeah and once again this isn't a this is how it should be but it's a it doesn't shock me that this is what's going on, right, you know, right. nothing he's yeah. saying is really blowing my mind, but David thinks that the park service is lying to him, Chris. So he has a bit of a different idea here. And in talking to some of the best journalists I could find, everyone said, Dave, they're outright lying. There's no way they don't keep track of missing people in their system. And I, I tend to believe that because over the last six years now, people have sent me a series of lists that the Park Service keeps. One of them is a list of movies that have been filmed in the Western U.S. National Parks since the 1940s. Okay. So they find value in that, but they don't find value in knowing where missing people were located. See, clarification, though, he said in the Western Park Services. So that's still not the entire United States. That's just a subset of our parks. So someone there is making that list because they're probably getting requests and have to approve it in a central office, but there probably is no central office where missing persons reports goes. That's going to be more regional. That's my guess there. Yeah. I think that's a pretty good guess. And again, we're running into the problems of bureaucracy and that bureaucratic structures are typically very, very protective of the power they have right and very protective in the information that they receive and that they share with others and so you kind of get this antagonism with other groups even if they happen to be within the same bureaucratic structure because they're all fighting for the same funds at the end of the day yeah and again you don't want to be the national park saying hey we're keeping a we're keeping a a a open totally transparent list of all the missing customers that come to our park yeah nobody wants to do that and also what do you do with that data you know like what is the benefit of having those numbers it's not going to help anyone not go missing honestly i would hope that there would be more information than x person went missing right Mm -hmm. my hope would be like well this trail seems to be where a lot of the individuals go missing right maybe there's something wrong with this trail 
And so you could start getting data points and being like, just putting up a sign or something like that that says, be careful because of X. You know, you start putting those data points together. You can start kind of painting a picture of what's happening to the people who have gone missing. But even that, we he's not saying that's not happening on the local level because that would be local information of like this particular park. Like, you know, I'm close to um, the Blue Ridge Parkway and there's a bunch of trails there. And mm-hmm. if they notice that there are a lot of people going missing on a trail, they can still make those changes. But there wouldn't be a national authority that they're reporting that those data points to. You know what I mean? Yeah, I mean, and, and there should be, right? And there should be a It'll be good a central authority gathering all the information for all the federal parks. I just would like more information about anyone who goes missing or is murdered or anything generally, I feel like would be good things to be able to have collectively. But what do I know? I just live here. Um, well, Chris, you asked about data points, though. Let's get yeah. into some of the actual data points of how many people go missing in these parks. I decided, along with a series of other people, that what we would do is we would, one by one, do the best we could going through archives and finding the number of missing people at the different locations, national parks, monuments, etc. Okay. And at this point, it, it branched out to also U.S. National Forest because a lot of things happen right on that periphery. And we're at about 1,600 people right now in North America. Wow. May I ask this? Um, if you, if that that would be your number, you're thinking sixteen hundred, yes? Oh no, no. I no. mean, it's probably double or triple that. But that's probably fair. The probably yeah. the number is much higher than the reported number. Yeah, because it's also what he's able to find with his team, and like right. I don't know if it's the most well trained or well financed team that he's working with, right. or if said team exists. And it's not just him and like a few people volunteering, you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. But uh, I mean, I I imagine that even with runaways and things like that, the number that are reported is way lower than the actual number that that it's actually happening. Yeah. But once again, this is similar to the uh, police murder statistics, where it's like how many how many people are the police killing that are unarmed in a given year? It's reporters who compile that data digging through archives. There's no system for this. So he's doing good work, it sounds like, you know, but it just doesn't shock me that he's having to do it. Yeah. I mean, this is all I he should be applauded for seeing that there's a problem and Mm -hmm trying to gather data about what is happening to these people Mm -hmm. when they go missing. And again, like I said, I can totally see these just being people who don't know what they're doing, who get stuck in a situation that goes bad. Mm -hmm. Right. And I'm, I'm totally fine taking that. But again, there should be a central repository of all these people who have gone missing just for the fact that it may help us finding them if they have disappeared for whatever reason or they ran away or whatever it may be Mm -hmm. yeah trail safety is a really important topic to cover if you are going to go out there on any sort of crazy hikes you know or any sort of trips or sojourns into the national parks you got to make sure that you have safety gear you got to make sure that you have some sort of uh, phone to get into contact with people maybe a backup battery pack I always bring with me just in case, like, you know, make sure that you're covering yourself, that you don't get right. lost yeah. uh, and download the maps beforehand. That's another yeah. piece too. Yeah. So 
the big question is, is this outside of the expected norm? Is there like, are there more disappearances in the parks than we would anticipate based on national averages? Ooh, good question. If you take that number and you apply it to the number of people that visit our national parks um, uh, by percentage, and then you look at North America, let's say, because we can probably get the stats best for North America, and compare it to the number of people missing in North America uh, for any given year, do we see a difference? Well, first of all, the number would be infinitesimal compared to the number of people that visit the park. No, by percent. Yes, yes, of course, but by percentage again. Uh, again, I, I don't want to make that because we truly don't know. At this point, I'd be playing into their hands by giving you a number. <laughs> I'm not going to play in their hands, Art. See, this makes me immediately skeptical because right. if he's unwilling to discuss the rates, even if he were to use his made-up number of, oh, it's probably three times what I found. Great. Give me what that rate is. Is that outside of the expected norm? And he doesn't really do that. Well, all. the problem the problem is, is that it is like 0.01%. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's the problem, is that we are dealing, even if you say the, the amount that he has is three, four, five times, ten times, I mean, there's, you know, 10,000 people have gone missing in our national parks, right? Again, like we were saying, hundreds of thousands, if not millions of people visit the national parks every year. But that's the thing is that it could be that the park service is actually doing a really good job. And because we have so many hundreds of thousands of people going through, we would actually anticipate a higher number of disappearances. Right. But they're just so on point. With their right. trail markers and with going out and finding folks. Like, he's not giving me any baseline here to compare this against. He's just saying people are going missing and it's sketchy. And each person who goes missing in a national park is bad, right? But again, like we were saying, maybe it isn't as bad as we're thinking it is, right? Maybe yeah. like percentages wise. And, and if we looked at worldwide national parks, we may see that people are going missing way more than the u.s average i kind of doubt that i kind of doubt that but yeah, yeah you're totally right i mean it, it helps to have some kind of baselines yeah even if it's not 100 percent determinative just give me something to base this right. off of but that's okay we're not going to get that today i'm just going to let you know chris he does not provide it but he does talk about why these disappearances are weird what makes these disappearances so puzzling so after reading thousands of reports and going over many many articles and just grabbing anything we can we started to find that certain things come out at you that are abnormal and we first set the criteria at rural disappearances mm -hmm. no suspects on the case the person can have a history of mental illness it can't be a voluntary disappearance. There's no evidence of an animal attack or human predation. And one of the biggies is lack of scent and uh, by the canines or the bloodhounds that came to the scene. They can't find a scent trail of the victim. Hmm. Many, many of the times, the victim, if they're found alive or deceased, they're missing clothing or shoes. 
Depending on the geographical area they disappeared, boulder fields and berries are involved. And soon after the victim disappears, bad weather is often associated with the disappearance. Now we're getting into the mystery <laughs> of it all. Oh, boy. He never expands on berries being involved. I want to know about the boulders and berries. What, like, what does that mean? I want to know all about the boulders and berries. Okay, so here, I got a couple of ideas okay. here, Paul. I think the berries are people get hungry and they eat poisonous berries. Oh. And so I think that may be what we're looking at here. Two, that a weather event is attached to disappearances. No doy. <laughs> No, duh. Have you ever been in a valley during a flash flood? It's terrifying. It's absolutely horrifying. You don't want to have it happen. And if you are camping, if you are on the ground, you're dead. You're gone. I mean, like, yeah, no wonder. So that one wasn't surprising. And I think what's happening with the boulders, Paul, as having hung out with some hippies in Northwest Arkansas they love climbing boulders. And I'm wondering if people are getting hurt climbing the boulders. Well, and also if we keep combining the situations that he's putting in place, which is maybe the trail or the path goes over boulders and there is bad weather. Right. So you're climbing over rocks in the rain. Right. I have almost busted it so many times oh, doing yeah. exactly that. Yep. And it's, you know, thankfully I haven't hurt myself, but like I almost have a couple times. Yep. And know? dude, I mean, you fall in a crevice, you fall in a cave, you, you know, you fall somewhere, you can't get out. I mean, my God, you know what I mean? You get eaten by, you get eaten by a pack of coyotes. Who yeah. knows? Yeah. Dude, my dog almost got taken out on a slippery boulder once because it started raining while we were hiking and she like tried to make a jump that she shouldn't have tried. And she's very sure footed. She has four feet. unlike me. And uh, she like fell down and she right. was OK. But it's just boulders are sketchy when they're wet, you know, yep. who knows? Um, but, yeah, let's get into some more weird aspects. because He's got a he's got a really long list here, Chris, of data points that he's correlated with these. If the victim is found, they're often found near creeks, rivers and bodies of water. And the majority of the incidents occur in a time frame between 4 to 5 p.m. or slightly later. Hmm. If the missing is located, they are often found unconscious or semi-conscious. And later on when they're questioned, the majority of the time, these victims can't remember what happened, where they went, or how they disappeared. Wow. In an, in an abnormal number of times, where a doctor or the parents talk about it, they talk about the person having a fever, a low-grade fever. Okay. And this is the one that will blow your mind. But the missing are most often found in an area that had been searched many, 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 many times before, <laughs> sometimes dozens of times. And bam, they're all of a sudden right there. Paul, I hate to debunk, <laughs> but there's a couple of things that I think that can definitely be explained. Yeah. The low-grade fever, for one, that's hypothermia. Yeah. Right. That's being out in the open, probably without a fire or any ability like that. That's just going to happen. Right. You're you're going to get a low grade fever because you've been out in the elements without any protection for possibly days. Yeah. It's just right? exposure. Yeah. 
why are they found near rivers? People almost always go to rivers to follow them down. It's a, actually a pretty smart, you know, kind of way of thinking, right? And then also this like, they have amnesia when they're found. You get kind of, it, it, it's like wood hypnotism, right? It's like being lost in the woods, right? You're freaking out. You're, you're probably terrified and everything looks the same and days when the days start adding up over time, you do kind of go crazy and I can totally see somebody, you know, like passing out or whatever and coming to and being like, I have no recollection of what's happened over the last few days. That, that's a good point. And to the last piece they talked about where people were found in areas that were already searched that's also why they tell you to stay put if you get right. super lost because right. people will wander around in the woods and then walk over where the search party may have already gone. Right. And they may end up in a place where the search party had already searched. And that's why you search places multiple times because, yeah, you could miss something or that person could have made their way back around to that area. Here's um, a big thing that we don't talk about uh, with with people lost out in the woods and forests and stuff like that is that. You, natu you naturally, over time, favor one foot. And so if you are right-footed, right right-handed, over time, as you're walking in the woods and you're not really paying attention to where you're going, you're naturally going to go right. And so you always, you know, it's, it's like a trope in the movies, but it, it's because it's true. Because... They'll be like, we've already been here. We walked this way. How does that happen? Because you're you're literally going in a circle over a long enough time if you're not focusing and making sure that you're staying left or staying right, dependent on whatever your dominant side is. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so none of these things are too mysterious, I don't think. Nothing is surprising so far. Yeah. So Art's question, because Art basically just keeps saying, like, this sounds paranormal. David doesn't want to go there. Uh, he doesn't want to comment on whether or not it's paranormal. He just wants to comment on, you know, his data points, which, you know, got to respect it. Doesn't want to branch out too far. We don't know if it's aliens or Bigfoot yet. We got to get those data. Uh, but Art asks, you know, hey, could this be like a serial killer or something? I was going to say, but there is a mystery, right? Yeah. <laughs> like there is he's he's building the anticipation that there is something devious happening. Yeah. When I tell a group of people, this is where everybody goes in that comfort place in your mind, trying to rationalize this away. And the first thing is, well, could it be a serial killer on the trail? Well, I live in Colorado and I, I I'm, my guess is probably 80% of the people on the trail carry a gun. So I've never heard of somebody trying to abduct somebody on the trail because there'd be a firefight and there'd be dead people laying there. Very good point. Very good. And, and the other thing is, is that what do you do with somebody who's five foot 10, weighs 200 pounds? You're not going to carry him very far on a trail. No. Yeah. Some of these trails are miles and miles away. Like if you're just trying to kill somebody, then yeah, I guess you could probably just kill somebody and then walk away. But like if you're trying to abduct people or anything like that, it's kind of a silly place to go you know, three miles off trail. Yeah, if you were to, I guess, I mean, this is a little dark of a conversation, but I guess if you were to, like, kill them and then bury them, 
that would be one thing right but you're right like it would be hard to abduct someone the other thing that he says is like 80 percent of people carry guns on trails that doesn't feel right to me even in colorado it doesn't feel quite right i mean it's a pretty li- maybe if you go to like south colorado and you're out in the desert then yeah everyone's carrying a gun but if you're like outside denver doing the flat irons hey, you're not you're not gonna see 80 percent of people there having guns i mean i've been on a I lot saw, of trails I, I was gonna say i think i saw 15 percent of people in flip-flops yeah you know what i mean like these people don't have guns yeah, I just and I've we've only lived in southern states, Chris. I just feel like I haven't seen that many people pack it. Now, if someone I mean, you should probably carry a sword naturally on trails for the yes. evil spirits, but uh um, yes. guns, I don't know if you need it all the time. That's right. You're always supposed to keep a sword with you at all times on trails. <laughs> well, so you're feeling pretty skeptical, Chris. I feel like you're not buying this right now. Th- that I, I buy that people get lost in the woods. <laughs> like I buy that. And I buy that in a country of 300 million people that it happens more than I think. Yeah. But like that the park services is in on it and that there's some kind of like, I don't know, occult alien reptoid manifestation stealing people off of trails in our national parks and that that part i don't really buy and and he doesn't ever go so far as to say it is aliens or bigfoot or reptoids or something like that but after listening to this guy for three hours he's clearly leaning leading you to that conclusion because he's not giving any terrestrial explanation all he's doing is giving you a bunch of things that make no sense unless you say that it's aliens or something yeah, dude. I mean, it's a little, you know me, I love Graham Hancock, but it's kind of like Graham Hancock, right? Yeah. It's like he won't ever say that humans had the ability to use their mind to cut blocks of granite. Yeah. But that's where he leads you to believe. <laughs> but he's going there. <laughs> yeah. Right. He doesn't take the step, but he points you in the direction. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, let's get to a case study, see if that changes things for us. Well, let's start with some this summer that happened that are right on key. Uh, Talk about Grand Canyon National Park. And there was a a group of people going down the river with a tour company floating down the Colorado. Right. They're about four or five days in. And they always stop at this one place that has a small creek that flows into the Colorado. They let everybody get out. They walk up this creek not very far, a couple hundred yards, and there's a waterfall that goes into this deep pond. People jump off the rock into the little water pool, and and then they all walk back after a couple hours to the boats, and they go further down the river. Well, Morgan Heimer was one of the tour guides, and he was in his first year from the University of Wyoming, 22 years old. June 2nd, 2015, the group stops four or five days in, far outside the normal bounds of the park. I mean, they were really deep in there. And they walk up to this pool, they have fun, and Morgan is the last person in line as they're walking back. He's wearing his life preserver, he's carrying a water bottle, and the creek is so small that people said you could wade across it without it coming up to your waist. Make a long story short, everyone gets back, Morgan doesn't come back. Someone from that company called me and told me the the details that I'm telling you now that a lot of it didn't 
become public. But they said that they were absolutely baffled what happened to him because it makes no sense that he could go anywhere. Canyon walls were steep. Uh, they got out their satellite phone. They called for help. Next That night late, the National Park Service shows up. They search for a few days. They don't find anything. He's never been found. What do you think happened, Paul? I think dude just disappeared, man. Right. <laughs> I think he probably got hurt or like fell somewhere. I don't know. It's just... I, I've, I've been camping and hiking enough, and I could see it to where... If one of your buddies goes out of sight and then you're kind of tired and you keep walking that you don't notice that they disappear, you right. know, or he goes off hiking somewhere by himself. Cause like we both have friends who will go off by themselves right. traipsing around the woods. And if something happens to them, we wouldn't have known where they went. Yeah. A hundred percent. And again, it doesn't take all that long for you to get lost in a forest. Or in, you know, this happening by bodies of water, people go right. swimming, they dive in, they hit their head. Right. Uh, and then they float down the river knocked out. Yeah. So there's just a lot I of mean, things it, that could happen. You pass out for some reason, you know, you have a little mini heart attack or what a heat exhaustion, heat stroke. And next thing you know, you're three, four miles down the river. I mean, I remember back in Arkansas, there was a guy who uh, was swimming at uh, the the river that we would always go to, and he got bit by a water moccasin and died. Right. You know, weird stuff can happen when you're in nature. Yeah. So, I don't know. But uh, do you want to hear another case study? Absolutely. All right, let's, let's hear some more. Uh, talk about another case this year. June 9th, 2015, okay. Chura National Monument, jurisdiction of the National Park Service, a 44-year-old woman with the mental capacity of a five-year-old, is with her dad, who's a physician, and her mom. They're in the motorhome of their dad. They stop at the monument, and the girl gets out with her mom, and they go to the restroom. The mom go, is, goes to the restroom, and so does the girl. The girl leaves early to go back to the motorhome. The dad's waiting there, not far away. She never comes back. Mom comes back. They said, well, let's look around. They look around. They can't find her. They call for a national park ranger, and a search starts. Sure. What's interesting about this, this is the same location. On January 13, 1980, the only national park ranger to ever disappear on duty and never be found, Paul Fugate disappeared. Really? And this is, that's kind of the thing I'm talking about before, where this data could be particularly helpful. Yeah. But it could also just be this is a dangerous area. That's what I'm saying. But That's yeah, what yeah, I'm saying. yeah. I know, I, I know what you mean. If they knew, if you knew kind of that this area was dangerous, you would post up signs and stuff like that. Don't let children roam free or whatever it is, right? And this is also a woman that is, um, you know, it sounds like mentally uh, handicapped. Like right. she, if she got lost, she may not know what to do. Right. So once again, this doesn't like necessarily shock me because the other thing, too, is that he's specifically pulling out all of the cases where we don't know what happened to the individual. So right. There is a certain amount of selection bias here. Yes. where All he's giving us is like, we don't know what happened. And th that is going to occur. Like we are going to have people who go missing. And we don't know where they went. Right. So, you know, it the, it doesn't feel that strange to me that there are occasions where people disappear without a trace. Yeah, 
Absolutely. And, and in national parks, doubly so, because yeah. I mean, you are in an area that is thousands upon thousands of acres. I mean, these national parks are absolutely gigantic. Mm-hmm. And there's no way, even if you have hundreds of rangers in a park, which they don't, that you would be able to to cover the whole entire park. Yeah. Well, let's get to uh, Art trying to push him on what's causing this and why it, all this is occurring. Yes. This is my other problem. Is that, like, he's not explaining why this is happening. Right. Or you know, oh, this happened in the same place where another person got lost. Like, okay, what's the connection? Like, is there a UFO hovering there that's abducting people? Is this a Bigfoot layer and they're taking folks and taking them to a cave? Like, what's going on? So, one thing I like to to do is I like to be a fact-oriented guy. Mm -hmm. And let the facts take you where you want to (laughs) go. But I won't go out on that limb because I got to admit, I'm not an expert in all these different areas. And when I go out and next week I'm going to go meet a family of one of these missing people, a recent one, I don't want them reading about me saying I am claiming some far out crypto subject did this because my credibility in front of that family is going to be trashed and they won't want to talk to me. I want them to use the knowledge I have and use it to their benefit but I don't want that compromised on a topic they know little or nothing about. I mean, I don't think he's he's wrong about that. I mean, if he did come out and say that this is a national government cover-up or this is reptoids or UFOs or Bigfoot or a serial killer that somehow traverses all of our national parks, like I think people would be less willing to talk to him. And so if he kind of leaves it, ambiguous doesn't ever tell you what exactly is causing it then people are probably more likely to talk to him yeah i mean he's probably not wrong and what he said there at the end i think was very telling where he didn't want people's willingness to talk to him to be um hurt by them hearing that he's talking about a subject that from what he said that they know little or nothing about right which means they don't know or believe in Bigfoot or aliens. So I don't want to bring that up because then they will yes. think it's crank. Yeah. No, it, it's, a, it's an intelligent <laughs> way of doing it. I mean, what he's doing, he's saying it appears that we're having a problem with disappearances in our national parks. Let me start gathering the data. Is there an issue with that, though? Because, and I'm just thinking about this live now, but. It feels a little bit problematic for him to be angling people towards these paranormal answers, but then presenting himself as if that's not what he's there doing to families who have lost people and who are missing. Do you know what I mean? I just don't feel like, I mean, maybe I would have gotten this if I listened to the whole thing, but I just don't feel like he was super angling ever that it was something paranormal it's just he kind of kept on being like i don't know what the answer is i don't know why these people keep on disappearing which you're right does kind of feel like a little bit of a of a cop-out at the end of the day but i mean i kind of see why he does it yeah but it's just i mean he he wrote a book about bigfoot he comes on coast 
Art keeps asking about paranormal stuff and he just keeps saying, I'm not going to go there, but then he doesn't provide any terrestrial explanations. Because I feel like in any other scenario, people provide answers in terms of like, this could be a serial killer. This could be yeah. X, Y, Z. This could be, yeah. uh, you know, magnets in the crust that confuse people's brains. I, you know, whatever crazy can, thing that you can think of. Uh, but he doesn't offer anything at all. And I'm like, give me something, dude. That's my ultimate frustration with this is I feel like he won't give me anything. That I, I would appreciate if it was like, some of these areas are very dangerous areas and we need to post more signage. Yeah. I mean, at least that's a concrete solution to a problem. Yeah. Well, Chris, on a scale of one to five Bigfoot that are kidnapping people, what do you give David Paul Leeds here? I'm going to give David like a two and a half because I appreciate him doing the work. Like at least somebody is tracking this data. And so he at least gets two and a half points on that. I don't know why he's tracking this data. What is he trying to do with this data? What is he trying to tell us that the, that the national parks are dangerous, that the national parks need to fix their dangerous parks, that there's some kind of, underground organization that's stealing people and scrambling their brains on trails like why why are you tracking this data what are you going to do with it other than come on art bell's show and maybe sell a book about all the case studies that you've tracked that are really interesting which again missing stories are interesting. They're they're inherently interesting stories because they're a mystery. And so what are we, again, I just, I don't understand why. Why are we doing this? If you had like some kind of motive other than just uncovering the data, I feel like I would be a little bit more involved, but I don't really, I don't, I don't understand why are we tracking this? Yeah, I, I agree. I'm going to give him a 1.5 for very similar reasons. I think I just got a little more frustrated than you uh, after listening to so much of this guy. And to this day, by the way, because this was filmed in 2015, he still does not give an answer. He's still doing movies and books, and he still does not claim to know why this is happening or offer theories. But he says that they're like narrowing in on the culprits. I'm like, dude, it's been like a decade. Like, hurry up. Right. Give me yeah. an answer. Narrow down a little bit quicker, bro. Yeah, let's let's move faster here. But that's okay. You know, he's doing he's doing his work. And like you said, he is putting in the work. So you got to respect that part. There's a lot of these folks online who are not putting in the effort. And he is, it seems like. So kudos to him for that, I guess. Somebody needs to be tracking this stuff. And yeah, so it's, there should be a database. I, and I'm glad that there is developing, that we are developing a database but at the same time, what are we going to do with the data? Like yeah. the to just collect data for the sake of collecting data always frustrates the crap out of me. Mm -hmm. It's like, let's do something with this data. Let's fix the problems Yeah, that the data is telling us to fix. Well, Chris, I think that'll wrap it up for this episode on The Missing 411. We hope you enjoyed it. We'll be back more next week. Thursdays, as always, we'll be dropping another episode on our public feed. And don't forget to support us on Patreon, patreon.com slash coast to coast PM. Thank you so much for listening. All conspiracy, all the time. Later.